Support for this podcast is provided by Jobiac, the industry's first recruitment marketing platform designed exclusively for Google for Jobs. For the first time, in-house recruiters can take advantage of the immense power of Google by posting jobs directly to Google for Jobs without the need for job board middlemen. Jobiac's platform encodes job posts to be read by Google and automatically post them in just three quick steps. Visit www.jobiac.ai to try it for free today. Just enter the URL of your job post and Jobiac will take care of the rest. For a limited time, Recruiting Future podcast listeners can receive 10% off the monthly price when they sign up. Just use the code RFPODCAST to claim your discount. The website again, www.jobiac.ai and Jobiac is spelled G-O-B-I-A-K. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 164 of the Recruiting Future podcast. So, I ended up taking a slightly longer podcasting break over Christmas and the New Year than I originally intended, but I've been busy recording some interviews that I'm very excited to share with you over the coming weeks. First up for 2019 is a topic that's critically important for everyone in talent acquisition to get their heads around. There's been some talk about the potential for the algorithms that power recruiting technology to introduce bias into the hiring process, but not much analysis on what's actually happening. To dig into the topic more deeply, I'm delighted that my guest this week is Miranda Bogan from Upturn, a think tank non-profit with a mission to promote equity and justice in the design and use of digital technology. Upturn have recently produced a report that looks at algorithmic bias in the hiring process. Reading the report and talking to Miranda has really made me look at this issue very differently. Enjoy the interview. Hi Miranda and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure. Uh, so my name is Miranda Bogan. I'm a senior policy analyst at Upturn, which is a think tank nonprofit uh, based in Washington, D.C. And our mission is to promote equity and justice in the design, use and governance of digital technology. So we're looking at everything from police technology to online platforms um, to algorithms that are being used in high stakes situations like in hiring. Fantastic. And um, I know that you've uh, recently uh, published a report looking at algorithms in hiring. Could you give us a kind of a bit of background to that um, and, uh, you know, how that report was put together and what it covers? Absolutely. We had heard a lot from, you know, fellow advocates uh, about concern about the use of data in um, important and, and area, important areas and areas covered by um, non-discrimination law. And so people will often throw out hiring as an example of, of a circumstance where algorithms are being used and where there's a risk for bias. But there wasn't a ton of information going much deeper than that um, to really understand what sort of digital tools are used in the hiring process, what sort of data they're using, um, specifically what they're predicting and how that kind of fits in with hiring decisions. And so we wanted to go deeper and really lay out 
the life cycle of the hiring process and dig into some of the technologies that are used at, at all these different stages, um, both to help other advocates understand uh, what this process looks like and to better inform their conversations with employers and vendors, but also to help vendors and employers understand um, some of the concerns about bias and why there's a sense that these tools may be a bigger risk um, for discrimination than they are a solution for it. Fantastic. Um, and I'm, uh, I think there's some very, very interesting uh, stuff on on bias that I want to talk about just, just in a minute. But b- b- before we do, could you give us an overview um, of, of the landscape as you see it? Because I know you've looked at where um, hiring algorithms are being used. You know, where in the recruitment process are they being used? What kind of decisions are they being used to, to make? So some of the conceptions outside of the the field of hiring and talent acquisition are that you know, hiring is a single decision, that there's some kind of robot making a yes-no decision, um, and and that's a very scary thing. But really, if you if you break down the hiring process in, into its different steps, um, we get we get to see how technology is being used at each place. So we broke it down into four main stages of hiring. So you have sourcing, um, you know, before any applicants have filled out job applications and expressed interest in applying. How are how are companies and employers reaching out? to uh, potential candidates and, and letting people know there are jobs. Then you have screening where you're t- testing for qualifications or doing some kind of assessment. There are some tools at the interviewing stage that are helping employers um, speed up this this more uh, uh, resource and time intensive process. And then you have the selection and offer stage um, where once an employer has decided who to hire, there are tools that are, are popping up trying to make predictions there. So what we saw at the sourcing stage was um, advertising is, is a huge thing here. You know, where employers advertise their jobs uh, really determines who even knows that there's a job opening. And many advertising tools online today are using um, artificial intelligence, machine learning to make more precise predictions about who is likely to be interested in a given job. So that's one area we looked at. There are also matching platforms that are trying to uh, look at candidates' uh, past experiences and their skills and match them with uh, jobs based on the job descriptions or um, other data that employers have have um, provided to to these platforms. And this is also the case in sort of headhunting tools, um, helping recruiters sort through potential candidates um, on LinkedIn or other platforms. And then at the screening stage, um, we saw a number of tools that are used to parse through resumes that are kind of updates to the standard keyword searches, um, as well as more advanced tools that are um, different sort of tests, personality tests, um, gameplay, um, video uh, tools to help recruiters, again, sort through people who are applying for the job. You know, usually there are hundreds or even thousands of applicants to any given job, if not more. And uh, a lot of the vendors in this space are uh, offering their tools as ways to make this process more efficient um, to help inform recruiters as they move forward in the in the hiring process. 
At the interviewing stage, uh, what we're mostly seeing here are uh, video interviews and video interviews specifically that are augmented by um, some kind of AI, usually facial analysis um, that tries to parse through these videos um, and and capture some of the dialogue that happens to try and match up those characteristics with what a successful employee might look like. And then finally, um, in the select selection stage, we see some attempts to augment background checks and also some attempts to make forecasts about the salary and benefits packages that candidates would uh, accept, um, you know, given that the employment you know, landscape today is very competitive. Employers are trying to, you know, really get their offers right so they don't lose out on candidates to competitors or or other industries. So it really runs the gamut, um, everything from advertising, which you might not think about as an AI hiring tool, but it really is, all the way through to the end of the hiring process. So you, you kind of mentioned that these tools are kind of informing and and helping and, and making the process more efficient. Uh, did, did you find that they were actually um, making kind of autonomous decisions in the hiring process or is, 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 is it something different to that? This is something else that, that also changes throughout the hiring process. Well, I think our overall conclusion is that while automated decisions, AI, are not often making affirmative hiring decisions, they're almost never deciding who to offer a job to. Um, they're frequently deciding who to reject from jobs. And this happens uh, quite a bit early on in the job process, and especially before candidates apply to jobs. Advertising tools are deciding who to show um, jobs to, and if they don't show you a job, that's effectively prevented a candidate from from knowing they can apply to that job. You know, they might be able to search for jobs um, on career portals, but it just raises the barrier, um, and that effect can can be spread disproportionately across uh, demographic groups. Um, you also in in any tool that's uh, sorting candidates. If you're sorted so low on the list that you're not in the first few pages, that's effectively um, rejecting you from a job. And there are also tools that have hard cutoffs in, in, in these sorting systems. So if you're below a certain threshold, you're automatically rejected. So I think that's where we see a lot of concern um, because uh, a refrain we heard often in marketing materials from vendors is that, you know, we're just a decision aid. We're, we're helping you make your hiring process more efficient and, you know, humans still retain the final decision making power. And that's true when when offering the job. But it's often not true for people who um, find themselves lower um, on the on, on these lists or or have been judged prematurely not to be a good fit for a job. And this is the place where we see potential error and potential bias creeping in in a way that wouldn't be necessarily noticeable um, or as noticeable to an employer who isn't intending to discriminate, but but the tools they end up using might have that kind of a effect. Can we sort of dig into that um, a, a little deeper? So, 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 how is sort of bias been perpetuated here, and what kind of bias have you have you seen evidence of? So, any AI, any predictive analytics tool, all it's doing is looking for patterns, and so the problem is that. Um, Definitely in the United States and also, you know, elsewhere around the world, uh, the employment field, you know, who gets jobs and what jobs people get is deeply shaped by legacies of discrimination in society. And so any patterns that these tools pick up on are going to reflect that because we haven't solved that problem. 
So if you're if we're talking about, you know, an online job board that's personalized, for instance, what that tool is doing is trying to show jobs to people who are most likely to click on those jobs, maybe most likely to apply to those jobs. But historically, the people who are most likely to apply to those jobs might fit a certain demographic and making that judgment about who is not interested in a job might be uh, prematurely precluding that, you know, people who who would be qualified for a job from from having equal access to to making a fair taking a fair shot at applying to that job. So that's one way we see biases perpetuating. Another is that, you know, tools that are attempting to uh, assist in selection um, tend to use an employer's internal data about who's a successful employee. So there can be two issues there. One is that if the employer has had a relatively homogenous workforce, then the model that it has for success is going to look a certain way. They haven't yet been exposed to um, potentially other uh, characteristics that would indicate that would uh, predict success because they just haven't had um, employees who who bring that maybe that different background, different experience, or different skills that could lead to. Um, you know, really great employees. And so any model that they build from the data that they have will reflect the picture of success that 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 company currently has. Even if the company does have um, a relatively diverse workforce, uh, we still know that internal evaluations can be um, swayed by unconscious bias just as hiring decisions can. So, you know, who is is seen as a successful employee, who's getting, you know, great reviews internally can also reflect this, these intrinsic um, biases that we have in a way that maybe isn't immediately noticeable, but once you feed it into a predictive system could end up uh, detecting that the company tends to prefer and reward um, people from a certain background and tends to, you know, view less favorably candidates from who bring a different uh, work mode or skill set. And and so, you know, any internal data um, could bring those effects with them. And employers who use this data blindly and don't really reflect on um, what their measure of success is that they're providing to a vendor or using as the basis of their predictive tool um, could end up falling into into a trap that leads to uh, outcomes that they might be actively trying to prevent, um, especially as as companies uh, prioritize diversity and inclusion. And what implications are there from a legal perspective in terms of sort of, you know, laws and regulations relating to discrimination and hiring? And, I, you know, I know that you, you, you've got some stuff in, this, in your report from this from a, from a, from a U.S. perspective. So, so what, what, are the, what are the implications? Well, in the United States, uh, not only are employers pro- uh, prohibited from um, purposely discriminating on the basis of a protected uh, category, um, they're also barred from engaging in recruitment behavior, recruitment activities that have a discriminatory outcome, um, no matter what that process is and no matter whether it was intentional. So if a tool, if a predictive tool ends up having uh, a disparate outcome um, that, you know, harms one, you know, a group from um, a, pr- a particular racial or ethnic group or, or a gender group, you know, they're going to be responsible for that. Um, now, some of some of the tools that are out there in the market do testing um, to to try and detect whether whether their predictive models have this type of effect, 
But it can be really hard to to test for for all of the protected categories and to test for um, you know all of the effects here because you know you might not have data on which candidates uh, come from a particular religious background or who have a disability, even if you have um, potentially their their gender or race. So an employer might not be aware that a tool they're using has an outcome that might be harming certain groups if they're not really proactively thinking thinking hard about. Um, how candidates are interacting with these tools and, you know, what presumptions are going into the building of these tools. So in in the last couple of years, we've sort of seen, you know, an explosion of uh, these 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 types of tools. And, you know, as you've identified in lots of different parts of the of the hiring process um, and, and all the sort of predictions for the next couple of years are that um, we're going to see even more, uh, you know, kind of automation and, uh, you know, movement in this direction. It, what would your advice be? I, I suppose, what would your advice be to, you know, to both vendors um, and to employers? You know, how should people be thinking about developing these tools? And from an employer perspective, what should they be thinking about when they're sort of purchasing um, this type of technology or engaging with suppliers? So the first thing I would say is any claim that a predictive tool is bias free should be met with an abundance of skepticism. Um, certainly, if a, if a predictive tool isn't actively considering a protected group, that's a good step, but that by no means uh, indicates that the tool won't have an outcome that would reflect um, discrimination. You know, as tools use have access to more and more data, there's more and more risk that the data they're looking at is closely associated or even a proxy for these protected categories, protected um, variables and demographics. So I would recommend that uh, vendors stop making these broad claims that that their tool will uh, enable bias-free hiring and rather grapple and with the fact that you know, they might be taking a step in the right direction, um, but there's only so much they can do. Instead, I think vendors in particular um, should be really transparent about what steps they're taking to test their models for bias and discrimination and and what they do to remediate uh, any effect that they find. There are a few vendors out there on the market that um, take this seriously and and are really public with what uh, what methods that they use to to test their models and and even going so far as publishing some of the internal code that they use to 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 test for disparate outcomes and so i i think all vendors should should be following the lead of these companies um in in being more transparent about these steps so that so that employers can um be more confident when when they're you know trying to acquire new technology for employers i would say um, the very first thing is to look critically at internal data that you might be thinking about using to try and build models for what a successful employee looks like, you know, before handing over that data to a vendor or even developing an internal model. Measure that data to see if there's any residual impact of uh, implicit bias in employer reviews or in who gets uh, promotions or who um, has been terminated uh, because those same patterns are going to find their way into any model that's built and and you're going to have to adjust them to make sure that um, that the tool isn't leading to um, violations of the law. Um, but also, you know, especially when as companies are trying to promote diversity and inclusion, um, thinking about tools that are are proactively working towards that goal. You know, it's not enough to just 
uh, say this tool is bias-free, but how can we make sure um, predictive recruitment tools, predictive hiring tools are are working in the service of diversity and inclusion goals? You know, that doesn't have to be a separate line of recruitment. That can be um, factored in to to a company's mainstream hiring uh, practices and, and particularly these tools. Um, so I think, you know, for both uh, employers and vendors, being you know, cognizant of the type of uh, systemic and, and institutional biases that are really latent um, in in any data that they're going to be using here is critical to making sure that the deployment of those tools doesn't end up either perpetuating existing discrimination, um, undermining uh, diversity and inclusion goals, or worsening um, bias and discrimination that that we still see, uh, especially in the U.S. So, uh, final question. I know that there's um, a lot more um, information um, and and detail um, than we can probably get into in a 20 minute conversation in in the report. Um, where where can people find a copy of the report if they want to sort of dive into this topic a bit deeper? So. So this report and uh, all of our work is on our website at upturn.org. It's uh, under our, so the, the list of our work. And the report is called Help Wanted, an Examination of Hiring Algorithms, Equity and Bias. And we really go into detail uh, about all of the stages of these um, of the hiring process. We look at some of the tools on the market, not to critique those vendors or tools themselves, but to to look at sort of archetypes of, of different technologies on the market. Um, and that way, and any employers or vendors who are thinking about using similar tools or thinking about building similar tools can get a sense of uh, what the critiques are from the you know, civil rights community um, from the perspective of of trying to promote equity in technology and and you know make these adjustments and and think critically about their own process. You know, we also uh, really love to engage with employers and companies to to you know give feedback and advice on tools because we want to make sure that we we don't you know we're we're realistic we don't think these tools are are going to go away the, the incentives for employers to adopt. Um, technology that makes their 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 workflow more efficient are just too compelling when there are so many applicants applying through so many uh, uh, work you know, so many streams online. Um, there's such a high volume. The, these tools are going to continue popping up and and become more popular. So we, you know we're invested in making sure that um, these tools are 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 built, constructed, um have have policies that are, are promoting equity here. Um, this is really our mission and and something that we want to make sure that, you know, everyone from the public sector to the private sector are thinking about when using data and when trying to uh, pre- make predictions, make decisions in such a high stakes um, area as hiring. Miranda, thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks so much. My thanks to Miranda Bogan. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. The show also has its own dedicated app, which you can find by searching for Recruiting Future in your app store. If you're a Spotify user, you can also find the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me. This is my show.